0: personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details.
4: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
3: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And my name is Christian Sager. Hey, Robert, have you ever met a person who doesn't like music? I do not think I've ever met anyone who just across the board
1: doesn't like music. I've certainly met plenty of people who seem to dislike music in certain scenarios. Yeah, uh, Because I'm the kind of type of person like types who... types of music, you mean, Well, right? types of music, but also <laughs> music in certain situations. Like, I've okay. certainly known people who don't like music while driving. Um, Oh, okay. I'm of the mindset,
3: I want music on all the time, uh, just about. Um, Music of my own choosing, but music. I know a lot of our colleagues uh, have difficulty writing while there's music on. I don't have that problem, although I do, like, sort of cultivate playlists of stuff that helps me to write, you know, mostly instrumental stuff, but sometimes there's certain music that I can listen to that has vocals that I can listen to while writing. But, yeah, so, you know, I know, like you, like I've known like various sort of iterations of people who can't listen to music during certain times. I've only met like one or two people in my life who just don't they they literally say I don't like music.
1: And that's so alien, so difficult for us to comprehend, because it's like hearing someone say, oh, I don't I don't like food.
3: I don't like I don't like drinking liquids. It almost seems inhuman in a way. And I think like when you hear that. at least in my experience, people will kind of think like, oh, that's the trait of a psychopath, right? (laughs) But it's not. It's Mm -hmm. actually not. Um, We've talked about psychopaths on the show, and that (laughs) that hasn't come up as one of the symptoms. But also, as we're going to talk about today, this is a real brain condition. Yeah, at least a couple of different conditions we're going to discuss. And I think they
1: both serve to remind us just how tenuous our sensory experience of the world really is.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, think about you and me, right? Like, uh, the audience probably knows, if they don't already, that you are really into electronic music, and you cover it for uh, stuff to blow your mind. I'd say weekly, right? You're I writing try about to, it? yeah. Yeah, and, um, and I, as many people have heard on other episodes, grew up in the punk and metal scene and still listen to a lot of that stuff, which... A lot of people find unlistenable and dissonant, uh, including, mm-hmm. you know, my wife, uh, yeah. and, um, I'm okay with that, but it's interesting because dissonance plays into these diseases as well. Well, here's a quick question for you. And I think this helps to sort of, this helps a lot of us,
1: uh, try and comprehend what some of these conditions are like. Yeah. Like what, what's a type of music that you just really don't get, that you just, you can't really listen to, you don't understand, and, and you're just willing to say, yeah, I, but that is not
3: for me. Usually, like, NPR-style jazz. I don't want to okay. just say jazz in general, because there's plenty of stuff that's being done in that area that's interesting and I like. Mm-hmm. But, like, that kind of, like, background elevator music jazz, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that that drives me crazy. It's like fingers on a chalkboard. For me, it's
1: I, I have to say jazz as well. And yeah. part of this could be, I mean... It, it, The view, I guess, is that jazz takes some getting used to. You have to be, you have to immerse yourself in it. And I like some jazz, and I like jazzy elements in some of the music I I listen to from time to time. But it's that jazzy jazz, (laughs) (laughs) that spacey jazz, that that completely unhinged jazz that just kind of gives me the
3: shakes. It's making me think of this joke on Parks and Rec. I don't know if you remember this, but the their local NPR station they had a show, and they would say. Jazz plus jazz equals jazz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Whenever I hear something like that, I'm like, nope. <laughs> Turn well, the
1: channel. <laughs> I often think about it, it, it that it's maybe like a like a strong. Alcoholic, uh, property, you know, some sort yeah. of sl- strong, uh, uh, liqueur that you would never drink on your, on its own, but you would use in a recipe or you would, uh, certainly use in a, use in a mixed drink. So yeah. I often think, well, that is, that is the strong,
3: undiluted stuff. That is not for me. Yeah. But you can put a, sh- like a, 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 shot of it or like, I well, I don't drink clearly. So a shot's mm-hmm. a lot, but <laughs> you know, a, a little bit. It's like adding grenadine to your, uh, to your soda or something like yeah. that to a drink and giving a little, flavor well like punk is is one of those things i think about this sometimes yeah. it's like pure punk i
1: just it's not my scene it, yeah it's yeah. not what i dig but i've certainly loved groups that have elements of punk in their sound yeah they yeah. either come out of punk or find some of their musical genre to combine it with like um oh um uh, the pogues come to mind you know? yeah sure. like a little bit yeah. of irish music a little bit of punk music it's really I, I would be hard pressed to want to listen to Irish or punk music on their own, but when yeah. these two come together, then I you know I've always enjoyed it.
3: Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. Even like having spent many uh, a year I- in basements watching just like crusty punk bands just mm-hmm. hammering out four chord songs, uh I can understand yeah <laughs> where you're coming from, and that that sort of has led to like what a lot of our I guess like popular alternative music is nowadays, right? It's sort yeah. of like a fusion of punk and jazz or punk and metal or <laughs> Joe and I were just talking the other night about ska, like 90s ska, yeah. <laughs> and how that was sort of something like that. Yeah. Well, okay. Enough about our musical interests, but so clearly we're human beings who love music. We've got opinions about music. We like to talk about it. We like to listen to it. We go to shows. Um, but there's people out there who don't, and it's not just because, you know, they don't, they don't go to things like that or they're just not, it's because there's, Literally something going on in their brain that makes it so that they're incapable of enjoying music. Right.
1: Something's wired differently. Some the systems are online in a slightly different array. And uh, we will get into, into these in a moment. But before we do, we thought it, it'd be helpful to just go ahead and give a nice overview of the cognitive experience of music. Yeah. Just basically what's going on when we process it. So. Music is, of course, a deep part of our cognitive architecture. It changes our mood. It heightens our emotions. It summons and banishes memories. It affects the manner in which we perceive time, even. Uh, we can actually use it to treat illnesses of the mind and body. So it's powerful
3: stuff. It's potent stuff. Yeah. That's not even just with human beings. There's been research done on plants, that music affects plants.
1: So we're talking about some serious magic here. Yep. There are parts of the brain that respond to music that... That don 't respond to language, there are separate parts of the brain that respond to melody to the melody of language different than these different for the parts of the brain that respond to the melody of music. There are parts of the brain that deal with movement, attention planning, and memory, and these all respond to music even though they don't have anything to do with the actual auditory process mm-hmm. so there's a lot going on behind the scenes yeah
3: and and we don 't fully understand it yet i mean I, I would say this research. Well, you know, we'll talk about it later, but really only in the last century have we even been aware of this as a medical condition. But only in maybe the last 20 or 30 years has there been like real deep research into what this means. Yeah. And certainly there's a
1: lot of wonderful research out there about mm-hmm. our relationship with music. And we can't cover it all here, but uh, just a couple of, I think, illuminating uh, studies to to touch on here. Um, in uh, in recent years, we found that you can look to the brain via fmri and uh, specifically you can look at brain activity in the nucleus accumbens Uh, this is involved in the formation of expectations okay and we can actually tell if a person is enjoying the music they're listening to by looking at at brain activity in this region, mm. if it's meeting their musical expectations and matching up with the stored templates of what you've heard before, then you see stuff light up,
3: yeah, um yeah, I and, could absolutely believe that, given my experience with music, yeah, yeah, you know, like if you're just like uh I don't know, like, here's an example, like I walk around sometimes and I'll just have like my entire music library on shuffle on my phone or something uh-huh. like that. And, like one, like really great song from my uh high school days will pop up and it's like, I can feel like whatever those lights are that are going on in right. my brain just activate, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The expectation plays such an interesting role in our experiencing music because on mm-hmm. one hand, there's there's something that happens when a when a melody or a tune or the lyrics take you to that place where you're expecting it to go. Yeah. But then also when it goes to a slightly different place where it kind of uh you think it's going to turn left and it turns right. Yeah. Like that animates yeah. you as well. It's 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 almost like narrative without words,
3: really. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a really interesting way to put it. I um Eh, we'll just do a little bit of subjective experience here to throw in here. Okay. I'm not like personally a big fan of The Cure, but a friend of mine is, uh, and if he's listening, Herc, this is your story. Uh, so The Cure just played in Atlanta recently, like Mm -hmm. I think like two weeks ago. Did you know about this? Oh yeah. I have, I have some friends who are really hardcore for it. They went to this show. Yeah. So the way that he told me was that like apparently this tour was like, you know, they were going to be playing all their greatest hits or whatever, but there was sort of like a different arrangement of the musical instruments. So mm-hmm. he was really excited because he's like, well, I'm going to hear these songs that I love and it's going to be played by the guys who wrote them. But they're going to be playing them in very different ways than I'm used to, and that's a wholly new experience. Oh know? yeah,
1: I've had that experience with. Uh, I guess uh Tool uh, has been been where That it seems, seems like to...
3: the kind of band that would do something like that. Yeah, yeah, they'll
1: play with the intro on something, and so the live version at first you're not sure what it's going to be, but then yeah. it, then you realize, oh, it's it's this track, it's that track, uh, whatever the particular uh, track may be, and there's this you know a physical ex- experience of excitement
3: totally. that rolls through you. When I was you know still involved. Involved in the music scene and just go into a lot of shows the thing that was always the most impressive to me and that just showed like a real classic professional touring band was when they could play an entire set without stopping Mm -hmm. like they would just start and their songs they had figured out ways to weave their songs in and out of one another so they would just play like a really tight 30 40 minute set and then boom they were done got off on stage and that is the kind of thing that just floors you. It's just like you don't have time to stop and breathe and kind of Mm -hmm. judge them uh, for other factors, like whatever they're wearing or what they say in between songs or something. You're just like bombarded.
1: Well, that's one of the reasons that I've been so into uh, DJ mixes over the years. Oh, yeah, is that, yeah. Uh, It's not quite the same as a, as a band performing their entire set without stop. But this, the idea that you can take various musical elements and, and a talented DJ can create a, a seamless tapestry of sound. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And certainly you get those su- surprises, those expectations met
3: or skewed uh, throughout that sonic narrative as well. So, alright, we're clearly establishing that we're music nerds. We love music mm-hmm. and, uh, whatever parts of the brain that don't work for, for some of these people, they're, they're lighting up like fireworks for us. Now,
1: another key point though is certainly you've been to a concert. Or performance, yeah. And you've been experiencing the music, and maybe you've seen somebody that, like, clearly their uh, significant other drugged them here, and they're not enjoying it, or they got a I, free I, ticket. When
3: you said drugged them, I thought or, you yeah, meant, like literally gave them <laughs> drugs so that they would just sit put. But yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> possible depending on the. Because uh, I've the seen venue. both. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so you've seen people that are not into it, yeah. or they're they don't they're clearly they're experiencing oh, yeah. it for the first time, or
3: maybe they you don't feel like they could possibly be enjoying the music on the same level as you are yeah possibly and and certainly like i and i have to applaud my wife again like she's indulged me by you know sometimes i can't get a friend to go with me to a particular kind of thing and she's like all right you know <laughs> let's i'll go with you you know we'll go see converge and high on fire and she's just sitting there like shaking her head while i'm like really into it you know yeah um so yeah I get that yeah
1: Well it's interesting because despite all of our very musical taste and our varying levels of engagement with particular types of music particular performances the brain experiences that we have are actually Pretty consistent among most people. Yeah. There was a 2013 study published in the European Journal of Neuroscience, and they found that if two people listen to the same track, uh, one an experienced fan of the music and another not. The other one just like a newcomer. Okay. Uh, You know, this has been dragged in there by their spouse. Yeah, Uh, right. You're still going to see the same synchronization in several key brain areas oh, and similar brain activity okay so as much as you you know might like to think you're experiencing your favorite band in an yeah. entirely different cognitive level than the you know the dumb guy next to you with the the glowies on his fingers. <laughs> um, that doesn't seem to be quite the case. We're still engaging like the same uh, networks.
3: I wonder if this is similar to like research that's been done on depression and anxiety in that, like, um, the more you listen to the songs over and over again, right? Like mm-hmm. it's maybe it's like a like writing over the same pathway of the brain over and over and over again. So it makes it easier. For that experience to happen, it's happening in the same way for everybody, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of going through the brain. I don't know how to describe this other than with like road metaphors, right? Like it's like yeah. going down the same road, but it's just like going down faster for, for uh, us or something. Well, whereas, that plays
1: into expectation, right? Yeah. Where yeah. the road is going to turn, where it's going to split, et cetera.
3: Yeah. Interesting. Huh. I wonder if anybody's done research on that. Like the, uh, the, the experience of Having music encoded to the brain as being similar to the sort of expectations that encode anxiety into people huh. yeah I, I we'll have to follow up on that because
1: I know there have been a number of studies that have looked into you know the, the potential therapeutic yeah. aspects of music yeah. uh, as well as the role of music in uh, in various emotional
3: states so. yeah and you right and you think about it like some of the emotional states that are created by listening to music have very similar symptoms to anxiety mm-hmm huh Well, all right. Maybe that's a future episode. We'll have to dig deep for that one, but let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the condition of amusia or tone deafness.
2: AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
5: Dad deserves something really nice for Father's Day. But let's face it, we usually don't do it. Big gifts are for Mother's Day.
1: All right, we're back. So this first one, tone deafness, amusia. I feel like this is going to be the one where we're going to see far more listeners who can share experiences with this. And certainly we've probably all encountered people with varying levels of
3: tone deafness over the years. Yeah, and it seems like tone deafness has uh, variations on it, like Mm. uh, extremes or, you know, some people have it to to less of an extent than others. Uh, The term congenital... Amusia is what we use to denote tone deafness that you're born with. It's been described in medical literature for more than a century, and it manifests basically as a severe deficiency in processing pitch variations. Now, this extends to impairments in musical memory and recognition as well as what we traditionally think of as tone deafness is like bad singing or the inability to tap in time with music, Mm right? Right. Um everybody's right now is probably thinking of like the person who I don't know was in choir or something yeah, like who that can't They hold just the couldn't yeah. hit the notes yeah um some literature also refers to amusia as dysmelodia or dismusia, but the term amusia is uh, generally agreed to be preferable because it acknowledges the possibility that there exist as many forms of congenital amusias as there are forms of acquired amusias, and what I mean by that is accidental brain damage. So you can hurt yourself in a variety of ways that will also produce this effect. Now, uh, to clarify, congenital means present from birth, but it is possible to acquire amusia through brain damage in life. The very first study that looked at this was done in 1878 by a guy named Grant Allen, and he was investigating a 30-year-old man with a neurological lesion that gave him this, as he referred to it then, severe musical handicap. Uh, And maybe some of you out there are wondering right now, like, I can relate to this. Is this me? Well, it could be. A recent study found that out of a 100 people who self-declared themselves as having a handicap for music, only 22, so 22%, actually exhibited the traits of a musia after they were tested with a formal questionnaire. And the way that this questionnaire worked, it tested your aptitude for scale, interval, and contour information, as well as melodic organization dimension, rhythm and meter, and temporal organization dimension. They also tested memory recognition ability connected to music. Now, those who are tone deaf are generally unable to hear the differences in pitch and tone that the rest of us hear. We joke about this, right? You know, there's always like uh, and I imagine with like movies like Pitch Perfect or TV shows like Glee, like there must be tons of joke about jokes about tone deafness. Oh, yeah.
1: It seems like every long running show ever has had at least an episode
3: where, oh, it's the person who can't sing, but they don't realize they can't sing. Yeah. So it's a common enough of a thing that it shows up in some pop culture narrative and we all recognize it. Uh, we use the phrase really to describe people who don't understand simple communication strategies, too. <laughs> right. Like yeah. like even outside of it, we've turned it into this metaphor for like, oh, well, he's tone deaf. So th- that's why he doesn't understand what we're talking about here. It's not even we're using it on a, on a level beyond like its actual medical application. Mm-hmm. Right. At its most extreme, though. People who are tone deaf are une- unable to even perceive music the same way that the rest of us do. And it comes down to an actual difference in their brain structure. Uh, and it's different from those like, you know, Robert and myself for whom music comes naturally. Okay. Okay. It's actually defined as a learning disability. There's a team from the University of Montreal who who have first published an empirical study on it, and that's their delineation. So, for instance, most children, and I didn't realize this, but this is probably a common experience for you. Most children learn to sing at the same time that they're learning to speak, right? So they're like kind of like singing words. Like I was uh, babysitting a friend of ours, four-year-old, the other night, and he was singing constantly, but then he would just kind of talk to himself, too. Oh, yeah,
1: that's my experience with my son bastian is um there's a lot of a lot of talking at this point. He's four, but there's also a lot of singing. He will just yeah. burst into song about the silliest things, yeah, to the point where we're just like, all right, you just you can't sing about butter
3: anymore. just <laughs> just eat, don't play with the butter and don't sing about the butter. Forgot Just say. consume the butter. Yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds like, uh, he is not tone deaf because tone deaf children don't do the singing thing huh. when they're younger. Uh, and this is where this, this woman seems to be like the expert on this. Like every study I was looking at, she was somehow involved in. Her name's Isabel Peretz, and that's when she gave it the official disorder, congenital amusia. Uh, it's innate in these people's brain, the lack of musical perception, and it's also hereditary. Huh. Uh they found that congenital amusia is genetically transmitted. Thirty-nine percent of the people who have first degree relatives with this cognitive disorder also have it. However, if you look at control groups, only three percent have it in control in control group families. However, congenital amusia doesn't seem to result from any particular family environment. It's not like, I don't know, uh you can somehow connect it to, like, alcoholics or something like that, right? Like, there doesn't seem to be an environmental source that's causing this. It seems to be genetic. Remember, though, genes don't specify cognitive function. They actually influence brain development. So the next step that these researchers are looking at is, let's identify the genes that relate to these neuroanatomical anomalies that are found in the brains of people who have amusia. Now, interestingly, that 3% control group almost lines up exactly with what they found to be the percentage of people in the population who have it. 4% seems to be the number of people in the general population who are amusic. They grow up with normal exposure to music and are otherwise capable of doing everything else everybody else does. They're intelligent. They're educated. This only affects their ability to recognize pitch in music. And it doesn't apply to language. This is the really fascinating part, right? Amusiacs can process speech as well as environmental sounds like, I don't know, like an animal's cry or something, right? Or mm-hmm. voices. They can understand all of that. They can even understand the pitch changes in different languages. Like, you, you know a little Chinese. I spent some time in China. You know how important pitch is to right. the difference in words. They're fine with that, hmm. but it's only with the music that they have this pitch problem.
1: Well, it reminds me of some of the the bits we we discussed earlier about how our brains process music and the idea yeah. that it's, it, your brain is processing it separately from the, the music itself, based on all of these other factors. So, I, I guess it stands to reason someone with even you know fairly significant uh, amusia here could. Still, listen to say a track with some really engaging lyrics, of course. Yeah, and they're going to get some sort of lyrical experience out of it. They might, yeah. And yeah. maybe, maybe even something that is—I'm thinking of some of the more, some of the least musical music that I like. Some of the more noise-oriented yeah. stuff. Like maybe they could listen to that and appreciate that on some level that is not as tied to the music,
3: but still somehow tied to a sonic experience of the thing. We are going to get back to that. Yeah, there's a there's a a way that dissonance in particular plays into both a regular music listening experience and a music listening experience. Uh, but there's actually some amusiacs that are recorded that are fluent in several languages. So Mm -hmm. this is, it doesn't at all affect their other communicative abilities. Uh, and the way that they figured this out was they use these tests that were originally designed to assess the presence and specificity of musical disorders in patients with brain damage. And the big one seems to be the difficulty in detecting pitch related changes. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh Especially when that extends into dissonance, which a musical subjects have little sensitivity to. So that's interesting. Right. So, uh, people who love music, when you create music that has dissonance in it, when tones are playing over one another uh-huh. that, that don't match up the right way and it just sounds like kind of white noise, some people hate that, right? Like, I I dated a girl once who, I, I remember putting on a record in a car and she just said, P- turn this off, it just sounds like insects. Yeah. Uh, and she wasn't wrong, but <laughs> uh, it, she probably... <laughs> wasn't in a music because uh they have very little sensitivity to dissonance. Okay, so I so one
1: with this condition could very well be a, an exclusive fan of say like Nurse with wound or early right. uh, Einsteins into new button, like, yeah, this yeah, very yeah.
3: like throw a xylophone down a hallway sort of music. That's okay. what I'm kind of wondering is mm-hmm. if like these uh, experimental noise fans that are just super into it and that's all they listen to. I wonder if you could have a Musia and not even know it because that's sort of your huh. genre of choice. Um, it doesn't appear unfortunately to be something that can be quote unquote fixed either. Perez's team has tried teaching kids with amusia to like music actually. Uh they basically they gave them uh, mp3 players and they said listen to this for 30 minutes a day. Not only did the kids fail to improve on their tests, but they the how poorly they scored on the tests correlated to how much they reported listening to the music. Hmm. Um, so the next steps to, to, to see if there's any kind of way to reverse this seem to be some kind of remediation training programs that might improve pitch perception and memory. At the very least, this will help us understand the neurological basis for this so that we can use it to diagnose other learning disorders too. So what, what's going on in the brain here, right? Like let's, Zoom in, take a look at the brain, and figure out what, what exactly the deal is. Well, there's a study by a team in France, and they used MEG scanners to figure this out. A music people's brains stem from delayed or impaired functioning in their frontal and auditory cortex. They also had physical abnormalities in those areas of the brain with more gray matter and less white matter than usual. Now, this is something that's come up on the show a couple times when we're talking about everything from brain disorders to drug usage. Right. Like that white gray matter uh, balance seems to be pretty important. Again, people with music, they don't enjoy music. But they're capable of enjoying all the other pleasures that the rest of us are, right? It's not like they're dead inside. Right. It's just this one area and arguably an area
1: that, that certainly has nothing to do with their survival or ability to, to move and enjoy life and, and, and partake of our culture. They're just not into the musical aspect of it.
3: Yeah. I mean, they like food. They like money. They like sex. This has all been tracked in a, a there was a March 6th article in the Journal of Current Biology. Mm-hmm. They looked at this. Um, so, okay, we know it's innate or it's acquired. We know it prevents people from processing music the way they do. There's also another way to look at this, uh, another terminology called specific musical anhedonia. Uh, and this is what another study's authors called the inability to exp- experience pleasure from music in general. So uh, if amusia is the, like, disease, the extreme uh, version where you can't appreciate music at all, is this specific musical anhedonia. And in in their study, they divided 30 people into three even groups, and they were asked to do what they called a music task, where they listened to classical pieces of music and then they rated them. Then they were asked to do a monetary incentive delay task. Basically, this is gambling. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And usually both would induce an emotional reaction in the brain. The researchers analyzed the heart rate of their uh, uh subjects and how much they perspired. Now some were quote emotionally oblivious to music, but they could tell what they were supposed to be feeling. So they heard the stuff, they knew they were supposed to be having some kind of feeling but their brain wasn't registering it. Their brain registered, okay, there's some reward system in place. When I'm when they were playing around with the money and gambling, that was lighting up, but not when they were listening to music. Hmm. So I'm wondering, this is just me here, and maybe I'm way off, but do you think Amusia can also affect a person's timing and tapping in terms of, like, fine motor control? Because I'm thinking, like, if you can't tap out a beat along to a song... Would that affect your fine motor control in terms of, like, trying to find, I don't know, I'm thinking about, like, platform video games where you're trying to, like, jump from one thing to another at the just the exact right time? Sort
1: of like, like the old school platformers where yeah. you, they were just insanely difficult and you essentially had to know, like, the exact beats to hit the exact yeah. uh, key uh key there's a rhythm to, to
3: that yeah. right and i'm wondering if that affects them as well or like or a simon game comes to mind oh yeah know? that would be a perfect mm-hmm. example yeah 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 like they'd just be unable to do simon i'm curious about that um again it comes down to like you know small loss like well right yeah simon. simon wouldn't be a big deal but i would imagine if the fine motor control extended into other aspects of your life that might be difficult yeah I mean, certainly there was a
1: time when, like, the predominant game, video game, was those insane platformers. Oh, yeah. And if you were not able to partake of those, I mean, you felt like you were missing out a little bit. Like, I was just always kind of horrible at them. Yeah. And I remember feeling a little left out. Like, I, I, I had never beat, I don't think I beat any of those old Nintendo games. Yeah. And and i did feel like was there something something wrong with me that i haven't beat super mario brothers
3: 2 i can sort of remember that yeah cuz especially like our generation the way we played like we all would just huddle around mm-hmm. the tv and the console right for right. hours at a time i remember playing like mega man for like 10 hours straight into the middle of the night with my buddies and we would like switch off right mm-hmm. but yeah you would sort of get laughed at if you weren't as like oh you can't make that one little jump come on you know uh.
0: Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Dad
5: deserves something really nice for Father's Day. But let's face it, we usually don't do it. Big gifts are for Mother's Day.
6: Expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at FisherHomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings.
3: Okay, so Robert, tell us a little bit more about agnosia and how it's related to amusia. Well, agnosia in Greek means not knowing. And,
1: um, and from a broad standpoint agnosia refers to a number of different uh neural disorders that um, in, in basically in which the subject experiences an inability to inability to process different sensory information now, what sort of information? This varies a lot. Some experience an inability to recognize and identify objects or persons or aspects of objects or persons. Uh, the sense itself is not uh, uh, defective. However, it's just how you're processing it. So it's not that you can't hear. It's not that you can't see. Yeah. It's just a, the, there, there's no memory loss, and it
3: might be limited to a single sense. It might be more than one. So what I immediately thought of here was Oliver Sacks' famous study: the man who mistook his wife for a hat. Uh, which was about a guy who had a brain disorder and literally, like, couldn't perceive the difference between his wife when he saw her and his hat. Uh, and Oliver Sacks was famous for doing all kinds of studies like this. But I, this that seems like maybe a more extreme f- version of agnosia.
1: Well, there are a number of different um, versions of it that have been either officially or unofficially identified. Okay. Uh, so uh, just a few here. There's there's finger. Pagnosia. This okay. is an inability to recognize the fingers of the hand. Oof. There's a more famous one, and certainly Oliver Sackstall um, uh, studied this one a good bit, and this is uh, prosopagnosia. This is face blindness. Yep. So you look at a face. It's not that you can't see. It's not even that you can't see a face. It's not like on that, that wonderful episode of Hannibal. Right, right, where, right, right. It's where just like
3: it's, a swirly, like, blank thing. Right. right. It's, yeah. it's
1: not that as wonderful as that was visually in that show. Yeah. That's not really what facial face blindness is like, yeah. but still, you, you can't, you look in at the face, you're seeing the face, but you can't really identify what's going on. You there. can't
3: like put the markers together to identify it as being different from one face or another.
1: Right. There's
3: also a um, uh, phone agnosia,
1: which is voice blindness. Mm-hmm. There's time agnosia, which is an inability to interpret the passaging of time. Mm. And there's also semantic agnosia. And this is object blindness. Mm. And without uh, being fresh on the details of the the, the hat situation, yeah. that seems like... Like, the, that would be the, the related classification. Probably, yeah. And I have to say, um, and and I have to bring this up and be geeky about it, since I'm currently reading the latest um, book in R. Scott
3: Baker's Prince of Nothing uh, oh, series. Oh, yeah. You, you have told me about this numerous times, and so has a friend of the show, E.C. Steiner.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I look forward to chatting about this latest book with Steiner, because it's um, the, the title's a great ordeal, but throughout the entire series, there's this... Tragic, undying elder race known as the non men. Okay. Okay. So they're like humans, but they're very alien in many respects. They've been around forever. They've had all these traumatic experiences. And, um, there are a few different differences, like very notable differences between them and humans. Like, for instance, they're, um, you know, they're ghastly and pale, kind of ghoulish. They, their teeth are all fused together. But the one that I I've always found really fascinating was the the re, the revelation that they can't see paintings. Interesting. They deal almost exclusively with three sculpture three-dimensional yeah, three
3: representations uh, that, would, that would definitely work for Steiner since he, he's working for those of you who, who don't know who we're talking about this is a friend of ours who's actually done work for the show before mm-hmm. especially for our video series um, he's worked with me on comic books before in two dimensional formats but he actually sculpted yeah like these huge set pieces that we used for the monster science series here he, he did this uh, wonderful Cthulhu piece that we have here in the office and uh, just a giant cyclops skull that you you can see in the background in a couple of those. Mm-hmm. So he's worked with us on the show before.
1: Yeah. And it, so maybe he's, a, he himself is one of the non-men. Um, he
3: might be, yeah. But I've
1: seen people interpret <laughs> this, like, painting blindness, if you will, as, as maybe, it, maybe it's something to do with, oh, well, they can't see colors yeah. color blindness. But I can't help but wonder if, if this is, uh, if this would be some sort of like painting agnosia okay and certainly our baker yeah. works so many neuroscientific and philosophical ideas into his work yeah i would not be surprised at all if that was a partial ins- inspiration for it okay yeah i like that i like that but all these it
3: outward yeah yeah
1: but all of these conditions uh, the real ones that we've discussed here it, they're examples where again you're the stimuli is entering through your senses but then something is messed up the the wiring is crossed there's there's something in many cases physically damaged in the brain that is permitting the proper processing of that stimulus
3: mm-hmm.
1: yeah so, and where this enters the musical realm is Auditory agnosia. And there are essentially two different versions here. There's classical auditory agnosia, which entails environmental sounds. So this would be like you hear a bird or a car, but you're unable to process exactly what that sound is. Yep. And then there is uh, interpretive or receptive agnosia. And this entails music and gets more
3: into this this idea of musical agnosia i guess like here's a good point for me to probably clarify too because i have this i don't know about you but um i have a good bit of tinnitus Mm -hmm. um from all my years going to shows and even though i wore (laughs) earplugs uh yeah i still hear that whistling at night and uh if everything's quiet i i just hear a high-pitched whine all the time um and this isn't that though right like that's that's an actual like we we actually have an episode of brain stuff about that um but it that's part of your eardrum being affected and then connecting to your brain this right. is totally different this is just brain right
1: now in some of the cases and we'll look at a couple of case studies here uh, uh in a minute in some of those you do see like actual deafness occurring as well mm-hmm. but uh but yeah for the most part we're talking about the about not a physical hearing loss yeah so, examples of this go back at least as far as 1905. Um, I was uh, looking at some articles about this, and they reference a, f- a physician uh, only referred to as uh, Bon Vincini, and another one uh, by the name of uh, Lamy, L A M Y. Okay. And both of those uh, encountered individuals who uh, who had. Uh, difficulty with music so they could in the first one the 1905 case the patient could still process musical information but could no longer recognize well-known tunes hmm. um, he could pick out a wrong note in a famous tune but he couldn't name that tune and in the 1907 case uh, from Lammy, Lamy L-A-M-Y uh, described a patient who could transcribe the na- his national anthem but
3: didn't know what it was that's interesting huh and and I'm assuming that given their names, they probably weren't transcribing the American National Anthem. Right. I think these were both, uh, at,
1: at least uh, the first one was Italian. Yeah. I'm not certain about Lemmy. Again, I, I I look to try and find some more information about these individuals. It's possible that Lemmy from Motorhead did some stuff of his own on <laughs> well, these. Well, certain, certainly but he... Those may be lost to time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the, but the thing to keep in mind is there's a lot of variety. All um, right. Here's an example. 2011 case that was reported by Zane Kaga and Haishi of a 27-year-old woman with long-term severe hydrocephalus. This is abnormal accumulation of cerebrospinal fluid in the brain. And this was due to uh, congenital spina bifida. Mm. She gradually lost her hearing, but she experienced, quote, severe difficulty in distinguishing verbal, environmental, and musical instrument sounds. As her hearing left her, she continued to enjoy music. However, and and she could because she could sense the rhythms by simply turning up the music loud enough to feel the vibrations. Yeah, and this allowed her to actually summon the memories, the emotional associations that she had made with the music prior to her hearing loss. Oh, okay, that's nice. Yeah, I think it's kind of beautiful. I mean, it gets into this idea that we discussed earlier that the brain is processing music in a few different ways. Yeah, and right. if one of those bridges happens to break down, it doesn't mean you know the the information can't get across
3: yeah and the vibrations alone are enough to sort of trigger those emotional associations is interesting
1: yeah and you can also of course get into i don't think they got into it as much in the paper but you know you have uh, you have instances where you can uh, you can use hearing aid devices that yeah. that uh, that depend upon like vibrations in the skull as opposed to uh, you know straight up uh, you know ear drum sensations yeah yeah mm. Now compare all of this, uh, to an earlier case. This was, uh, presented in 1996 in the Journal of Cognitive Neuroscience. That of a, and this was, I think the case itself, uh, was first studied in the 70s, but it was a 40-year-old nurse referred to as CN. Who following a series of surgeries at age 35 to repair cerebral aneurysms in each of her temporal lobes complained that she was no longer able to pick out the simplest overlearned tune. You know, things, the tunes she should have known just by heart. Yeah. So she no longer recognized tunes from her own record collection unless they had audible lyrics. Okay. Which is, which is interesting. She could only identify them if the
3: lyrics kicked in. So this is making me think of people I listen to a lot of music that has unrecognizable lyrics, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. But I know a lot of people who are like, how could you listen to that? You don't know what they're saying. I wonder if that's connected. I don't know. Or maybe it's just an aesthetic preference. But I often think of, in cases like that, where you
1: can't quite understand what the the, the, the vocalist is saying, yeah. it's like Tom York comes to mind. Certainly some of yeah. the music um, of uh, Tool, even, or, or uh, Meshuggah is another act that comes to mind, where... If I'm not even understanding exactly what's saying or I'm only picking up on certain words, yeah. like the the voice itself is a musical instrument.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was uh, just mentioning this the other day to a friend of mine about Radiohead, that that's how I think of Tom York is less as a lyricist and more as like a, a vocal musical contributor, sort of like how Mike Patton does stuff with his voice and mm-hmm. some of his side projects like um like phantomas where he's not even really saying things but he's just like using his voice as an instrument
1: yeah, or like certainly we can all listen to music in different languages. We can listen to say Mongolian throat singing. Yeah. And, and, still and we enjoy get it. We can still enjoy it. Yeah. So the, the, uh, the individual in question here, she had no problem understanding or communicating verbally. Okay. Uh, but music simply didn't register like it used to. Wow. Musical patterns found no purchase in her mind. And this uh,
3: made her a near perfect case of music agnosia. Mm-hmm. Well, wow, and it sounds like uh, there's an overlap there with the musia. So I wonder if, like, um, the neurobiologists that are really looking into this deeply, if there's just a terminology uh, overlap here or if there's some symptoms of agnosia and some symptoms of amusia that separate them out as being totally different.
1: I, I think that there is definite overlap here, because I have seen in some of the the papers we were looking at, they even Use said, the yeah, even used them interchangeably or yeah. said, this is also known as amusia. Though, in, though there are plenty of cases, especially in the stuff we covered earlier, where amusia is not describing
3: agnosia right. and vice yeah. versa. So, yeah. so it sounds like that we need to do a lot more research on this and sort of, uh, better identify these categories.
1: Yeah, I believe I believe the experts in, in these areas are still trying to get firm ideas of what's going on because certainly agnosia is a is a rarity
3: compared yeah. to the more simpler versions of amusia. Right. Yeah, you can have amusia, and okay, so maybe this is the difference. Amusia is the four percent of the population who are just tone deaf. Right. Whereas agnosia, or uh, the term that I was using earlier. Let Me uh, scroll back into the notes to find it. Specific musical anhedonia; mm-hmm. those sound like the the extreme version of it, where you just don't process music at all. Right, and I think that's I, I think that's where we see the overlap. Yeah, no,
1: those conditions where we're talking, especially when we're talking about brain injuries, uh, physical trauma to the brain, physical changes to the brain that result in these symptoms. Now, in the treatment of agnosia, um, the analogy I made earlier about the two bridges, that's ultimately where we see the main treatment or coping mechanisms. And that is that if one bridge is out, there are other bridges. There are other ways that we... Consume music that we, that we take music in, and so we we see in various cases where it basically information is just presented in other uh, modalities with uh, that connect to the patient, so it's just a different way of connecting with the music
3: it's interesting that you use the term bridges because from what I can tell, the causes that lead to and these are the physical causes mm-hmm. that lead to agnosia um, usually are around the occipito-temporal border in the brain of the ventral stream, right, connecting parts of the brain together, the bridges between that. That gets damaged, and this could be lesions on the parietal or temporal lobes. It can be produced from a head injury or a stroke or infection or carbon monoxide poisoning. It's all kinds of things, Right. Um, But these lead to all the kinds of agnosia, not just the auditory ones we're talking about, also visual and tactile that, you know, we're focusing on auditory today, but that bridge, if that's severed, that's where that sense kind of goes haywire. Yeah. All right. So this is what I'm wondering, and and this is what I'd like to see more research of, you know, uh, leading us out for the future. What effects do amusia or agnosia have on other behaviors? Like, We've, we've seen, okay, yes, these people understand, uh, language still, right? And they're, they're capable of being functional in society and working and being intelligent and educated. But what kind of personalities develop from a person who just doesn't have music in their life? It's a good question. I'd love to hear
1: from, from any listeners on this. Certainly the, the data we were looking at in the papers we were reading, they seem, if anything, it seems like most of the time the researchers are surprised at how, how well the individual yeah, does, you know? Yeah. So it's, it, it, I don't see a lot. It's maybe in the more severe cases where it's affecting, you know, greater uh, sound agnosia mm-hmm. uh, in general mm-hmm. or, or other uh, types of, uh, of a uh, stimulus coming into the brain. But for the most part, it doesn't seem to, handicap them significantly i mean they're still able in many cases to enjoy music the thing the one area that is that is specifically affected
3: yeah i'm also wondering too and please listeners chime in on this one as well with the rise and popularity of podcasts i wonder if that is an outlet for amusiacs like there, well, I don't like music, but these podcasts are great. So I'll just load up a bunch of these and mm-hmm. listen to these all the time. I, I've certainly
1: met people like that. The, yeah, the people who don't want to drive with music on, and yeah. they inevitably, they, they want to listen to something, right? And they'll they'll go for a podcast, they'll go for
3: a radio show, or or like a book an on audio tape. book. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Huh. Well, I like to balance back and forth between the two. Sometimes I'm in the mood for music. Sometimes I'm in the mood for a podcast or a book, but. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting difference in experiences. Well, it seems like uh, there's a lot of information that we can learn from you, the listeners out here, about this. I mean, we're scratching the surface of this pretty much brand new discipline of research. So let us know what you think about it. I want to hear your, your experiences. Maybe you've met people who don't like music at all. Maybe you're one of those people. Maybe that's why you listen to this show. <laughs> um. So let us know. Uh. You can contact us in all the usual ways. We are on social media all over the place. Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. And then there's also our landing page, StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's where you're going to find all the podcasts, all the videos we've made, and all of the articles, none of which are musical-based. If you have Amusea, you can consume them and be just fine. (laughs) That's right. And
1: hey, if you want to get in touch with us directly, as always, email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com.
4: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.